Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Bart Bruhler. Bart is a professor of New Testament and biblical studies uh, for Indiana Wesleyan University, and so a colleague of mine, and we've been uh, friends and colleagues for over a decade now, and he is an excellent uh, New Testament scholar, uh, knows the scriptures very well, and has a mastery of the Greek language, and so I'm really excited to have him on, been wanting to have him on for a while, so I'm glad to uh, finally get him on the show. And our text this week is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 12 through 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. As you know, we this year are shifting to the New Testament uh, epistle reading for our text for most weeks, and it's year B in the lectionary, so we're kind of picking up where it would have left off, but we were doing Old Testament last year, which I'm glad we're jumping around and not just getting stuck in one track. But uh, So we're kind of jumping right into the middle of 1 Corinthians here, uh, but we'll be in 1 Corinthians then for uh, quite a few weeks here. So happy to have Bart on to discuss 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on to others so they may benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Bart. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20. Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is meant not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one in spirit with him. Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, we give you thanks uh, for this day which you have made. Grant us the grace to rejoice and be glad in it. And Lord, we give you thanks for this hour to which we have been sent, uh, summoned with the gift and opportunity and task of studying your word. Please grant us the grace, uh, both Bart and I and all who are listening in across time and space, grant us the grace to seize that task, to receive that gift. May the charism of study 
be placed upon us in this very hour. And Lord God, we give you thanks for this moment in which you are present. Please grant us the grace to be aware of your presence in the moments to come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So great to have you on, Bart. Yeah. First time with you. Yeah. So uh, what do you notice? What's uh, what's just observations, you know, starting point? What do you what's jumping out at you? Text I'm sure you've looked at many times, but what's what's jumping out at you today in particular? Yeah, well, I, I think the first thing would be that there's two chunks here, uh, even in a relatively short section. The first chunk probably goes uh, is from verse 12 down to verse 14. So we've got kind of one section there where there's some things mm. going on and some things holding together. And then starting in verse 15, there's a sequence of these rhetorical questions. Don't ah. you know that? Don't you know that? Don't you know that? Um, <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so so there, there seems to be, you know, so at, at least we might say uh, at verse 15, Paul sort of shifts tactics a, a little mm. bit or something like he's using a different way to communicate or a different way to get their attention. And it's it's one that's not unfamiliar to him. I mean, Paul asks these kind of rhetorical prompting questions, uh, lots of times in First Corinthians, lots of times in Romans, he does it in First Thessalonians. And this question in particular is, it's kind of an odd question, right? Uh, it, it, on one hand, it implies shared knowledge, right? Don't you know that? But at the same time, mm. there's this little edge to it that says, yeah. I actually think that you don't know this when you should, right? But so I'm going to appeal to your better nature. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, as you know, that's right. Yeah. I won't say to you that. And then I go on to say the thing that I'm not going to say to you. Right. Um, so as our know, mutual so, friend and a regular guest on the show, Ken Shank, he'll often say, well, as you know, and, and then say something right. like, no, <laughs> only you know that. Like, I've never heard that before. <laughs> right, right. Yes, as you yes. know, in one of Tacitus's minor works, but you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. It's good rhetoric because it makes you want to, you feel yes. included even as you're being right. talked down to, you're actually not, you don't feel talked down to even right. though you are being taught. Yes. In some ways. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's very much another piece of this that, that really stands out to me is, you know, we all know, especially with the epistles, that we're reading somebody else's mail, but mm -hmm. it is particularly predominant when it comes to First Corinthians. And, yes. and then in, in seven one, we actually get, you know, now about the matters on which you wrote to me. Yeah, right. Well, so, dude, we're not only reading somebody else's mail, we're reading mail that answers somebody else's mail that we don't right. know yeah, about. Yeah, because that somebody else's mail place. thing, <laughs> and that somebody else's mail thing always applies to epistles, but it applies in varying degrees. I think that's a nice that's little true, principle. Yes. Whereas like a book like Ephesians, whatever one's theory, it's, it's clearly it's some kind of circular open. letter. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very and There's even textual evidence of that, correct? Because aren't there right, copies right. that don't have an address either? To the Ephesians, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's missing. That line missing. So, um, whereas here, or even like Philippians, clearly to a community, clearly yeah. there's a context. He's in prison, mm -hmm. but the the you don't get the I don't get the vibe. You tell me he's addressing some issues, but it doesn't feel like he's replying to a one specific letter, or maybe he is. I don't know. But 
Well, that would be maybe in the middle. Philippians maybe is in the middle between Ephesians yeah, and Corinthians, right, I guess right. is what yeah. I'm trying but to say. But it's very much a friendship letter, right? You know, it's, it's you know, we he doesn't have to say. Which is easier you to follow. that to the Philippians? Like, Which is already, easier to follow, right? Yes, there's more precisely. in common. That's they right. can. There's more common assumption. Yeah. And, and on top of that, we know that things seem to change a little bit at 7-1. It seems that some of the material before and then later in 1 Corinthians are word of mouth things. We, we know that there's this group of people from a leader in the Corinthian church in Chloe who have sent this letter and sent some people to Paul who and, would have offered some, and they have, yes, they have filled in between the lines in some cases. And ah. so it seems like some of the things that Paul is talking about, perhaps including this passage have come to him through these personal channels. You know, this is the kind of thing maybe you don't want to actually put on paper, <laughs> but yeah, isn't it chapter one where he says, I've heard that. Yes, that's right. You. Yes. Mm-hmm, Whereas right. so seven is a clear break. So in many ways, so we're kind of going through not every single verse, but we're kind uh-huh. of going through first Corinthians during ordinary time this winter. Gotcha. And I think we'll pick back up on it after Lent and Easter. Okay. I, haven't, look, I haven't, I haven't played that far ahead. I don't that know. Far ahead. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Um, it's whatever the lectionary, we just go with it. Uh, mm-hmm. But so if I'm hearing you right, you're kind of saying that this section that we're discussing today is the last part of the sort of first half where there's a, a little bit more hearsay basis. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. in seven is when we have this clear shift because from seven through at least 14, 15, yeah. maybe there's these. There's a few uh, references to what you wrote me about. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. So now, Paul has sort of wisely linked the two because, I mean, he's going to, he's talking about sexual immorality and sexuality and sin right. here. We're starting in chapter seven. He's going to be doing it's a lot sex. of the same yeah. thing, but now, particularly about marriage and singleness and virginity. So, you know, so he's, bumped these two things up together in a very reasonable way so that you're like, oh, oh yeah, I see how this goes right into that thing that we did write you about. Okay, I I get it. I, I, I see now. So, Would you be inclined to see Paul as working with a rough outline in mind or would it be more associational? He got to this no, moment and I, he, I, he started talking about it and then said, oh, that brings me to the letter. Well, First Corinthians is a really weird letter in all kinds of ways. So is Second Corinthians, by the way. But there's all kinds of strange things that happen in First Corinthians. So, for instance, and I don't know if this jumps the gun a, a little bit, but Paul started talking about sexual immorality back at the beginning of chapter 5. Mm-hmm. And, and there, there's some odd issue uh, with a man living with his stepmother, right. we think, something like that. And so he talks about sexual immorality for a while. And and that's he a heard, stops. a report, a rumor. Yes, right? that is. It has that's been right. reported. I've heard. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But then at chapter six, he starts talking about lawsuits among mm. believers. And these things don't seem to have any connection to each other clearly. So you think to yourself, oh, okay, we're done talking about sex and immorality. We moved on to sort of another topic that's been reported. And then all of a sudden in verse 12 of chapter six, Paul goes back to sexual immorality. And he does this a bunch of times in first Corinthians. He does this kind of sandwich technique thing where he's talking about a thing and he kind of stops talking about it and talks about another thing. And then he goes back to talking about the thing that he was talking about before, Mm -hmm. but usually with a, you know, slightly different shift or prism on it or something like that. It happens like four or five 
times in First Corinthians that he does this kind of thing. And so this is one instance of it. So whenever we're reading this passage, it's good to remember that this is the bread of the okay. sandwich of which there's another piece of bread back in chapter five. Um, and to think about the fact that these uh, couple of things go together in, in that kind of way. And then chapter five, using your bread analogy, five and then late six, this is kind of a, one of those little sliders. Uh, it's really yes, an appetizer for the big dog in seven, right? <laughs> but it, might, it might be. It might be. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so something like that. At least seven is, you know, it's 40 it, verses yeah, long. Yeah, and then and seven it. is, you know, another piece of bread, so to speak. So, yeah. So, and they jive together in ways because mm-hmm. they're both touching on this issue of sexuality and, you know, that type of thing. And so. then interestingly, chapter eight gets into food off yep. at idols, That's which right. also has links. So in some ways, not to, I don't want to put something, an outline in Paul's brain, but at least yeah. for us receiving the text mm-hmm. in some senses, six, 12 through 20 that we're looking at today works both as the kind of last of the rumor based arguments, but also right. a little bit of an overture to at least the next two chapters, if not more, because you mentioned zooming in on our text again, you mentioned that there's kind of a, not a break, but a shift in tactic, I think Mm -hmm. was the term you used in verse 15. And at first it with, except for one reference to Pornea, uh, fornicate, we might want to talk about the translation of that, but uh, (laughs) in verse 13, the language of food and stomach is the talk at first, which is body talk. And then, 15, it's really focused on, on pornea the rest of the time. Interestingly, even saying every other sin you commit outside the body. Although interestingly, he just mentioned the question of eating, which kind of seems like gluttony would also be on the list of body sins. So it's a little, (laughs) although, I mean, maybe this is getting too big, but you know, at the end of the day, part of his argument here is a sort of idolatry and paganism question. So in some ways, the pornea and the gluttony specifically food to idols, like there, right. there is a kind of a question of the paganism of their world is sure. kind of relevant to all this. Maybe, I, I don't know, but you, you might have some thoughts about that, but. Yeah. There, well, it, so, and, and I do think, you know, in terms of looking at the text, you know, in some ways Paul has saved the punchline for the end, right? I mean, the mm. very last little line there, therefore glorify God in your body. You can stick that line on a whole bunch of passages in first Corinthians, ah. right? I mean, and so that, you know, even if you don't follow all of what is going on in, in 12 mm-hmm. through 19, when you get to 20, you're like, Oh, Oh, I'm supposed to glorify God with my body. Oh, huh. okay. Okay. Uh, and, and again, that can apply to idolatry that can apply to the ways that you eat. Okay. It applies to spiritual gifts that, you know, all this, this kind of uh, all these topics that pop up in first Corinthians. Um, that's a key, this, this notion of the body and what the body does and what you do with the body. And, and then at times we get a little bit of it in this passage of the, it's hard to find a precise word here, but there's some sort of pairing of body and spirit, right? But they're they're mm-hmm. not like a pairs of opposites. Uh, they're meant to be joined pairs, but differentiable and yet linked in some critical, crucial kinds of ways that they don't exist apart from one another. But we can distinguish them. You know, so Paul has this complicated view that he doesn't really parse out metaphysically. But you know, there's body and spirit. They're joined, but they're not identical. 
but they mm. shouldn't be apart. It, you know, so it's this kind of interesting uh, linking of that. But yeah, if you don't get anything else in this passage and you get the tagline, at least get the punchline. Yeah. You've done okay. Right. You know, so that, yeah. that's kind of a key. Okay. And and that's the one piece that really ties the first chunk that we talked about and the second chunk together yeah. is the recurring use of body, right? But the word body shows up in both of them multiple times in a body. Oh, body, and then body, ties body. it in a way like verse 20 then can work as almost a, a sort of motif for the rest of the stinking book, sure. right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. from sexual immorality to food in nine to some eating talk again in 10 to the discern the body talk in chapter 11 right. around yep. to resurrection of the body and tongues. It's like so much. Yeah. I thought of the more famous line in chapter 10, verse 31, where it says, whatever you, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, mm-hmm. do it unto the glory of God. So that sort right. of is a parallel. Similar, yep. Similar principle. Yeah. I find that this is one of the, more challenging things about reading Paul is he has this kind of principle operating in his mind all the time when he's writing, Mm. but usually he's more playing at the surface level. Like he's writing, expressing himself more at the surface level. And it's only every once in a while, like this little statement that these underlying core commitments Mm -hmm. pop out uh, occasionally. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, Oh, if that's the substructure of all of this, then you know it, it's it's again imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know he doesn't say that twenty times; he only says it once. But if you take that one time that he says yeah. it and sort of play it underneath everything else, you're like, oh, yeah. I see kind of what's going on here now. You know, for me to live as Christ and to guy his game, right? You're like, oh. Oh, I can play that back like three chapters and it still resonates with what's going on there. Um, but his surface logic is sometimes for us, as, again, especially as readers of other people's mail, we're kind of like, what? I didn't really see how you got from A to B. Like, I don't really know how you did that. Right? Yeah, the rhetoric doesn't always track for us, <laughs> yes, both exactly. because of missing the other letter and because of contextual difference right, and historical right. distance. But then those little, that's a good little, and then maybe we'll take a break at that is just, that's a really good, just reading a sort of reading Paul tip is yes. to kind of mm-hmm. keep an eye out for these moments when the sort of driving, the, the orienting concern as yes. it were, that's right. Uh, mm-hmm. Peaks out. Right. And then from there, sometimes you have to go reread things with that yes. in mind and you might be able to follow the logic a little better. Yeah. So it's not mm-hmm. like about pulling that out of its context, but more using that as a, an internal clue as to how to make sense of it. Right. And a lot of times Paul, you know, hard to do on the podcast, you know, but there's these kind of visual representations of rhetoric and logic and Paul's is very much kind of a zigzaggy. Yeah. Right. He doesn't go from a to B to C. Right. It's kind of like a drifts over here and then he kind of comes back and passes by a again on the way to something else. And, you know, it's, and that's very much what we have in this passage again, going on with body, right. You know, so he starts and he'll go by body, goes off to something else. He'll come back around by body again, and then off to something, you know, and, but he keeps sort of, sort of cycling back to this notion of the body that kind of is the backbone for the whole thing uh, all the way through. So, and part of what throws us off, I'm sure, is we're reading it instead of 
course, he would probably have been verbally communicating with someone. Sure, and sure. then also it would have been read publicly. And the fact is, is like doing one topic and then kind of coming up for air on another one and then coming back to it. Like, that's like watching a good movie, right? Like you, you come up, like, you know, just watched good Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. I just watched Indiana Jones again with the kids over Thanksgiving break. And mm. we're, uh, we're recording way in advance listeners. Sorry for the Thanksgiving reference, but you know, and, and it's just like action and then like a little come up for air for some humor, right, or some right. romance and then action. And it feels very comfortable in a, in a auditory and visual medium. Right. But like when we're reading a text, our modern mind's looking for the steps, sure. you know? Yeah. And well, so and one thing I, I need to add before we move on to some larger issues, one, Please. this is one passage in first Corinthians. There's, there's a couple more um, where quotation is important and really hard to understand. Um, Ooh, let's start with that. Let's take a break and start with that. Because right yep. I think that's sounds a really perfect. key question. Yeah. Yep. All mm-hmm. right. Sounds perfect. Let's take a quick break and come right back. All right. Hey, everybody. John Drury here. I've got Todd Bouchong and Eric Fisher our editor and producer, respectively, uh, here on the line with me and wanted to invite you to strongly consider taking your support of the show up to the next level by becoming a patron saint of the Fresh Text podcast. This is a way of supporting the show financially in a small way through patreon.com slash fresh text. If you click on that link, you'll see different levels, different tiers at which you can support the show starting at uh, $3. And this will give you access to community together as well as some additional bonus content that you'll hear about in a moment. And it's just really crucial for us to be able to keep the show going by able to pay for some of the overhead. There's some site hosting, there's equipment, as well as just the sheer time that Eric and Todd have been putting in uh, completely for free donating. I can do this stuff for free. I don't mind. I got a day job. I like talking about the Bible for free, but I really would like these guys to be able to have a little bit of their time compensated. So it would be just really great if you'd strongly consider becoming a patron saint of the show. And to talk a little bit more about what is involved in that. I was going to hand it off to Todd and then Eric to say a little bit more about that. Todd? Thanks so much, John. And again, I just want to take this time to thank all of our listeners. These last two years have been a tremendous blessing as we've heard from you uh, about the various ways that the show is enriching both your ministry or perhaps your own personal spiritual life. And going into 2021, we're hoping that our Patreon page and the Discord specifically within our Patreon page will be a way for listeners to be able to expand on that community. The Discord is a application that's going to be available for Patreons at all levels, which is going to be an opportunity for you to share amongst, you know, your fellow listeners. Now, that may be sharing anything from how you're engaging with the text to various theological discussions, or perhaps it's just prayer requests or, you know, sharing about how you're engaging with your flock or with the text. We're excited to be able to open up that community to you and to engage with you with that. You know, many of our uh, very 
various guests will likely be engaging with you as well. So we're really excited for you to visit patreon.com forward slash fresh text and engage with some of the tiers and the various ways that you may be able to contribute financially to the show to uh, participate with that community and also engage in some of the additional bonus content that we'll be providing for you. So to hear a little bit more about that bonus content, I'm going to go ahead and pass it on to the producer of the show, Eric Fisher. Thanks, Todd. Yeah, uh, for different pieces of content, you're going to get, even from the lowest level, you're going to get something extra each week. But moving forward, each additional level that you jump up higher, you're going to get something new from us. You're going to get more than just that one weekly episode. And what we want to encourage is that we are going to totally be beholden to the community to dictate what that content is going to be because we've got ideas, we've got live Q&As thrown in there, we've got weekly bonus episodes, monthly bonus episodes that are at different levels, different tiers, but ultimately what we care about is supporting you. And so as you support us, we will be supporting you by creating even better and more additional content catered towards your needs. And that's what we're looking for forward to hearing from you and interacting with you about through the discord and through the patron channels, etc. So really excited to see what we're going to get to make with you moving forward. But again, all of that is dependent upon you supporting the show. So check out which level is right for you by going over to patreon.com slash fresh text. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Bart Bruhler. And we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. And Bart brought up a really... Uh, important point right at the end there. I'd love to camp out this long or as short as you'd like, but there's the possibility of quotations and some, some versions even put quotes around, but those aren't in the original. So figuring out how to discern that is a, is a tricky question. Yeah. So walk us through that a little bit. How's that work? It it comes nicely to a point. If you compare the new revised standard version, which is what I typically use with the new international version, which is probably my second go to if I'm just going to pick something up and they do the quotations differently in verse 13. So in the NRSV, it is verse 13 quote, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food End quote. And God will destroy both one and the other. Okay. In the new international version, they have 13 quote, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. End quote. Huh. And and so, you know, of course, yes, there's no quotation marks in, in Greek. And so these are all editorial things Decisions, that the yeah. translators have, have added. And so, I mean, there's a couple of questions going on there. First question is, where should the quotation marks be? Um, huh. And so, because if you follow the pattern, it seems to be all things are lawful for me, quote, End of quote. And then Paul adds, but not all things are beneficial. That seems, that seems most plausible, that that pattern. Yes, that's that right. first so, one seems pretty defensible, yeah. Right, right. And so then you would have food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, end quote. But God will destroy right. them both. And so there's – so the one question on the, on the top layer is just where do – well, should there be quotation marks? If there should be, where 
should they be? And if both of those things are true, then who is saying this stuff? And yeah. what is its status? Because there are things about this, these statements that can go back to Jesus, right? Jesus declares in Mark's gospel, right. all foods are clean, you know, and Jesus mm-hmm. asks the lawyers a certain a couple of stories. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You know, the same same word here, is lawful. it lawful to do yeah. so? And so there's ways in which there's, a, there's, you know, kind of a subtle echo of Jesus <laughs> in those statements that Paul seems to then disagree with or something like that. Um, or uh, nuance, as it were. Yes, that's right. Pe- yeah, Peter, uh, Peter's vision in Acts is the, the kill and eat, call what's clean, what that's I've right. called clean. It's not the la- not the language of lawful. Yes, but and that bears even direct relevance to to the food you know, issue. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and therefore connected to Paul's own ministry and the right. question of the legitimacy of Gentile. Yeah, and, and of course the the fiascos that are taking place in the Corinthian uh, church help us to have a little more sympathy with the. <laughs> the yes. Jerusalem leaders who we tend to just yes. think of these exclusionary jerks, but they're more kind of like, this is going to be a real pain. Uh, this right. is not, this well, is not going to go well, Paul. <laughs> yeah. And that's, what's really, and this has troubled or irritated people for a long time of the Corinthians seem to have this really odd relationship with the body. And mm-hmm. so, because on one hand, there appear to be statements like these here, where they just dismiss the importance of the body. The body is irrelevant. Uh, so again, Paul, mm-hmm. like I said before, keeps this tight, distinguishable, but interconnected relationship of body and spirit. Um, mm-hmm. And there seem to be at least portions. I, I mean, again, we don't know what's going on here, but there's some kind of way of thinking present in the Corinthian church that says, no, 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 body, spirit, they have nothing to do with one another. They're like oil and water, right? You can put them together and shake them up, but eventually they just separate out from each other. And yeah. that seems to be the primary kind of underlying logic here that Paul is getting at is these people are saying, eh, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Like your stomach doesn't save you. So who cares what you put into it? Yeah. You, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. So yeah, just do what you want to with that because it's not relevant to yeah. your connection to Christ as part of your body. But then there's other places in First Corinthians where the Corinthians seem to have this hyper intense focus on the importance of the body. Hmm. And so you're kind of like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How did all of these people like, how do you do both of these at the same hmm. time? <laughs> uh, so the again, the matters about eating food, uh, it's talked about later in First Corinthians where yeah, some people appear to be terribly, terribly bothered by the fact that some believers are going off to these dinners and eating food that's been sacrificed to idols because somehow that pollutes their spirit. And so you're like, wow, there's a lot like the, hmm. there's these two kind of polar differences about the role of the body. Would these likely be factions or different classes? Uh, you know, or we don't just, know for sure. Yeah, but it's just hard to tell. It's just really hard to tell. There's um, reference to divisions early in the book, yes, which makes yes, one absolutely. wonder if there could be some correlation. And yeah, uh, I mean, so one. Although those those views can coexist in one person, the fact is, it is true. That's right. <laughs> we Our are capable of inconsistency. Tend to yes. not be coherently connected. Now, it seems most 
likely that the organization of these urban churches was in multiple household churches, right? I mean, it's, you're ah. not having a 250 Corinthians all gathering in one place, you know, as followers of Christ right. every week. There's probably 20 gathered here and 25 here, and they might have a third connection, to, you know. So it was probably better for us to think about the possibility of divisions occurring because households are probably holding some kind of separate worship gatherings yeah. or meals or something like that. Cause there's no potluck. Right. Happen, you know, there's no, you know, there's no, there's no fellowship hall in Corinth. <laughs> I mean, that, that right. So then you could happening. have people either maybe yes. lower class people who are uncomfortable in one and switch to another Possibly or so. a more wealthy person who's normally a host. That's right. Might have, yeah, yeah. might be a guest one week somewhere else. Yes. And then they're starting to pick up on the fact that, we're not all actually practicing this Christian thing the same way. Right. And that can then create conflict and tension. The divisions that we get. Yeah. They emerge. But the divisions may not have arisen sort of uh, through direct polemic first. They might've just through just being separated. Yes. Yeah. 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 But here we really really do have, Paul is much more speaking to the party or group or influence or something that is downplaying the body. Uh, yeah. basically says the body really doesn't have anything to do with your relationship with Christ or your connection to Christ. And I think the interesting, the place where that comes out most clearly is this place. Um, and maybe we can talk about Pornea here a little bit, probably starting in verse 15 and then going down a little bit into verses 18. Uh, and so one thing that I think might help the, the listeners is just to know that, yeah, the, the word for sexual immorality is this, big umbrella word, pornea. Mm. It's a weird word. I mean, in in terms of how it functions, it has a couple of things to it. It can, and words operate like this in all kinds of languages, but I think Paul is using it here in its big umbrella sense, sort of any kind of deviation from the biblical sexual ethic, right? I mean, so anything that's outside of the norm, but it can also mean a couple of very particular things. When we find Jewish authors using this word, it it generally means incest very Mm -hmm. particularly as opposed to any sort of sexual immorality. It means incest in, in particular. Some other authors will use it for adultery in particular, But here it seems to be a big umbrella word. And then, you know, then all of a sudden Paul starts talking about prostitutes. And for us in English, you're kind of like, wait, huh? Where did did that come from? But, of course, the Greek word for prostitute is porne. Right. Obviously is... Practitioner of... Yes, precisely. Yeah, something like that. Sexual iniquity. And so (laughs) in Greek, it just kind of flows right together. You know, Paul says, you know, avoid porneia. And then he says, well, since you're avoiding pornea, don't be joined with a porne. So, you know, that all kind of makes sense. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And we use, I mean, obviously we're not, I mean, I'm not just trying to be geeky in in using the Greek word. The fact Mm -hmm. that we do have this English word pornography. Right. Helps, helps us to kind of helps us that word is, a little bit. And you can kind of see like, and even you can pause and think about it for a moment and you can think, yeah, actually we use the word porn yes. in a variety of ways. Right. We use it to describe the, you know, the objects, but you can describe the thoughts in your head sure. as sort of 
pornographic thoughts or images right. or, and then of course we also taught, we use it uh, analogously and talk about interestingly food porn, right? Yeah, really right. beautiful <laughs> images of food sure. des- designed to stir your passions. Well, right. ironically, th- these two things are being placed next yes. to each other here as yeah, well. Exactly. So it might not be as foreign as we first imagine. <laughs> yeah. But I do sometimes, this is one of those words that's <laughs> nice to just leave untranslated for a while. while yeah, studying. Right. Just and leave just, it, just leave it until yeah. we, until I've, kind of made a decision of how it's being used in this right. text in particular. Right. And so you can kind of see, I think this is what's happening in the second chunk. Paul is, and Paul does this on other occasions too. He's kind of throwing everything against the wall to get <laughs> this point across to them just to see what will stick to make sense with them. So the first sort of idea concept notion that he uses is this language of members Mm-hmm. In verses fifteen, in verse fifteen, um, th- this is a again. This is a word that can mean it can mean limb or mm-hmm. extension or member. Uh, all of these kind of things. And so Paul tries this one first, right? Don't you know that your bodies are members? They're they're limbs of they're they're parts of the body of Christ. So there's there's his first analogy, right? Don't don't you know that you're members of the body of Christ? He's like, oh well, oh, okay. I think I can wrap my head around that. Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? So he's making this connection between these two things. That's sort of shall I a, intertwine my limbs with the limbs of a yeah pointist. right. So yeah, the, right, yes, right, there's like, yeah. some very physicality. Yeah, so there's some profound physicality going on there as well. And so I think that's you know. Paul engages with sexuality as the image, right? Because um, this member is also the word that's used for the male genitalia. I mean, it, and so it's right there in their face as an analogy, right? Should I take my members, which is part of Christ, and unite that with a, a prostitute to become make them members of a prostitute? So that's sort of attempt one, right? Let me try to contradict this notion that our bodies and our spirits are disconnected things that don't have anything to do with one another. The first one is this notion of members. And so he tries that one. And then he tries this uh, language of, uh, in the NRSV, it says united. I think in the NIV, it might say joined. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. That's a... Yeah. And so that's this is his second analogy attempt, right? It's, again, throwing okay. stuff at the wall. Just, can I communicate this to you? Can I get this across to you? It's actually, it's a very, this is a, a flexible word. Like it, it doesn't mean have sexual intercourse with. It's actually usually doesn't mean that. It means to join, right? If, if somebody goes to a party, they join the party. Right, um, right. Okay. You know, if, if, it can also mean to cling to or hold fast to something. You know, we get this, the language is used in the, in the book of Ruth where Ruth ah. to Naomi, right? I mean, she holds on to her. She won't let her go. So it has this notion of connection, of attachment, of joining. And even back in Genesis 2, 2, 24. It is not right. used there. That's it's it's not a different word, there. actually. Yes, it's not that cleave word. And so it's kind of, again. That's what my time. footnotes did. And I was like, oh, so I, yeah. I t- took it for granted. So it's, it's this, again, I think Paul's trying various things to get this point across to them. Um, And so here's this, it's more of a, it's much rather. So I think the members word 
in verse 15 is much more of a physical analogy. This one is much more of a relational, psychic, connective, associational kind of analogy, right? You, you wouldn't yeah, social you wouldn't join bonding. yourself. Yeah, you wouldn't bond. That's a good word. That's a very good word. You wouldn't bond with a prostitute while you're bonded with Jesus, would you? Right? So, again, yeah. he's using a kind of different analogy. And then I think the last one that he uses, starting in verse 19, is the temple, the, the temple and the spirit, right? Uh-huh. If, if God's spirit is in you, well, the place where God dwells is a temple. And so, if the spirit's in your body then your body becomes like a temple. And if it's the temple, then you don't go around defiling temples because yeah. we all know that that's bad. And so why would you defile this body that has been turned into a temple, right? So that's attempt number three of trying to say, no, don't you get it? Your bodies are connected to your spirits who are connected to Christ and all these things are tied together. You can't just put a wedge and put them on separate, you know, uh, planets or something like that. Yeah, that that's interesting because it's like so. There's membership or mem- membering. Membering. Yep. Mm-hmm. Then this bonding, kind of relational joining, bonding, mm-hmm. and then the the presence of a temple. Right. And it, and he's probably banking on the fact that that one of these metaphors will click. Yes. With somebody and maybe yes. different ones will click with different people. That's what That's creatures right. do, right? You throw things, all and, things to all men, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it, yeah. Which interestingly, you thought of that. I was thinking of that exact phrase because in all of these cases, there's kind of a, even the temple thing, it's kind of like, well, do we actually think that these pagan temples in the town of Corinthians are actually special holy places? Well, no, but you, you know, you, you don't go around throwing eggs on a temple. That's right. <laughs> it's like, and so that's why, like, back to that opening line, right? All things are lawful for me. In some ways, he's saying yes, but right, right, right. for sure, yes, but we have to practice discernment about what's sure. best for right. for the individual and the community and unto the glory of God. So take a little trip with me here. He says that yes. you know, right? You're you know, of course, we're members of the body of Christ. He is Lord over all. So in principle, all things are their power has been neutralized. Right. He's, he's a big fan of, you know, living in freedom. And yet how do we exercise that freedom? Sure. And these analogies are here to kind of help us do that. Right. Rebuild that connection. And and can I double back to cook? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. uh, Well, I was just going to say the other piece of this, which again is it it pops out just a little bit, but you can, we're going to hear about it a lot more later in first Corinthians is at the end of the first chunk in, in verse 14, God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. <laughs> I mean, the resurrection is, again, one of these substratum elements of that makes sense out of all of this for Paul, right? I mean, if Jesus's body was truly resurrected mm-hmm. and raised to some kind of new existence as a body, well, then, yeah. <laughs> It's got. It's all got to be connected, right? Because Jesus is not mm-hmm. a disembodied spirit. Jesus is embodied in some very real, powerful sense. And again, he doesn't come out and say, "This is my foundational principle." But you know, but there it is, kind of there. You know. And again, at the end of a chunk, if you think of these as two chunks, yes, the last right. line of each chunk yeah. mm-hmm. is a kind of uh, the. This is why foundations peeking yes, out. That's right. Exactly. Very that's much helpful. So. Very is it so. often towards the end when you get these moments or am I turning that into a 
too much of a rule. It, it can be, but you know, sometimes Paul never says, <laughs> uh, he just leaves it out entirely and you have to sort of construct it from something else, somewhere else. Other times we'll put it right up front and do it that way. So yeah, different ways. Well, yeah, let me, I want to attend to two things before we yeah. take our next break. Uh, one is to come back to that that you just brought up. I'd love to end with that a little bit more. Yeah. Verse 14 and its connection to verse 20. I just grabbed my Septuagint real quick, just because you mentioned that it wasn't the word there. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's a variant. And I just wanted to make okay. sure we get, we can get on the same page for our listeners in the Septuagint, at least that I have in front of me, but there could be different textual variants in Genesis two twenty four. you know, a man will leave his father and mother Kai pros kale the setai. So it's oh, not, okay. it's not kale the same word, but yeah, it's clearly cross. related. Yeah. So if you if you were to do a concordance, you wouldn't right, bump right. into it, it show because it's yet. got it's got a different uh, prefix on it. Right. Right. So there, it's it's cleave toward or cling to yes, cling to uh-huh. his wife. Right. Yeah. That, that was just a quickie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> um, yeah. There's definitely and and that could be some the, allusion to that. It's but. floating in the context too, right? I mean, because it's the two shall become one flesh, which is very obviously a quote. Yes. Um, yes. From that from that same passage that's the next line well. yeah yes and i think it is it's still it kind could have of even playing. been associational he might have said it and it made him think to oh quote. yeah yeah I, mean, right, ha- right. I know as a and, preacher when i'm thinking of my next point the thing i just said makes me think of a scripture <laughs> illusion and i say the scripture illusion while i'm i mean because when you just have the bible kind of in your brain if you grew up in it sure. i did i mean i'm no paul but i have some resonance with his upbringing as someone who would have learned a lot of scripture you sure. know and then was trained. So you, you have these scripture passages and they're like, they can just pop out They're available while you're making yeah. a point. Cause he's not quoting it and then exegeting it. He's rather made his point and then adds it at the end. Yes, right, so right. there's almost a catch word connection there. Yeah. That's what made me think of it. And I thought I'd ask, but yeah. follow up, but, but more importantly, thematically this, I want, is there, I don't want to overdo it and over theologize per my custom, but verse 14 and 20 they use different language, but there's some interesting parallels. I mean, you know, and this God also raised the Lord and will raise by raise us or y'all by his power. And then you were bought with a price, glorify, that is fitting to glorify God with your body or in your body. Mm-hmm. And like, like you already mentioned one connection, bodily resurrection. Sure. And then the respect for the body now. So yeah, in some sense, yeah, we're all going to die. We're going to go the way of all flesh. And yet, and we've already died in Christ. So yeah, sure. All things are lawful, but our destiny is to be raised in the body. And so we right. need to have more respect right. for this body life than, than the, the conclusion they drew. But then another connection, even glory and power, these are related words yep. and both linked to the Holy spirit. I mean, sometimes it says he raised Christ by his power, sometimes by his hand, sometimes in glory, in glory, as both, which is maybe, and there's connection between resurrection and exaltation. I think of Philippians two to the glory of God, the father. So, I mean, I don't want to overdo it, but I think there's at least some sort of resonance between these two principles. They're not sort of two disconnected principles. Because when, when Paul talks about the glory, because I worry about the quote from, you know, I, 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 in college, I had a friend who bought me a, a cigarette lighter that had first Corinthians, wrote first Corinthians 10 verse 31 on it. <laughs> Is that the reference? You know? 
you know, all things do it to, but that, that's a kind of version. There's almost a Corinthian version Oh yeah, that's right. of Paul's claim, whatever mm-hmm. you do, do it to God's glory. If the glory of God is an abstraction right, right. about kind of, yeah, like, yay, God. Right. Whereas this is the very specific glory of the resurrected body of Jesus. Right. Sure. So it's a very, uh, that seems to have some importance to me. Oh, yeah. I'm and, overthinking and it, but. No, well, and I think again, the Corinthians have some problems with both and thinking it, it, it's ah, okay. Um, yeah. You know, and so good. for, so Paul later, right. In chapter 15 is going to have to say, no, I mean, they're not so much denying Jesus's resurrection as denying that Jesus's resurrection has any relevance for them. Right. You know, is there, I mean, he has to defend the resurrection in, in one respect too, but more importantly, he's trying to say, it's primarily, don't yeah. you get that if this happened to Jesus, then this is happening to you too? He has yeah. to really build that argument. And so this notion that there's, and again, the, um, this might be a reason uh, for, um, you know, again, this debate about the quotations in verse 13. If God destroys the body, isn't it irrelevant? Yeah. So that's why maybe the NIV put the quote around that. Yes, that's precisely right. So it's not without reason, because if, if, if the point is, well, God just wipes it out, burns it to, you know, disintegration, then why should I care what I do with it? It's not surviving into the next life. But Paul, in fact, well, you could see saying, it as paralleling into verse 14, though, the, the, to say yes, he destroys the body, you meet your maker, but, then he, but he also raises it, recreates it. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, so there is, yeah, Paul means, needs to say, because in a way, yeah, verse 14 is the reason that verse 20 makes sense, right? Because there's continuity between this body and again, whatever that body is, but they're both bodies. Therefore, if you're not glorifying God in your body now, hmm. you're not going to be able to glorify God in your body then either. And so the continuity between the two becomes the reason for glorifying God with your body now, because in fact, it is not irrelevant. It's very powerfully important to what God intends to do with Jesus and with all humanity uh, at the same time. Oh, man, That's really good, man. All right, let's take a quick break and explore Alrighty. some sermon starters. Sounds good. we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Bart Bruler, and we are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. Let's explore some uh, sermon starters. What ideas or suggestions or advice would you offer someone who might be preaching or teaching uh, this text uh, in the future? Yeah, there, there's a... There's a lot of things. Um, I do think it's good for us at times when we come to certain texts like this one, that it's perfectly okay and healthy to say, this is weird. Uh, I don't, I mean, like, I don't know that this has a lot to do with what my people are facing or struggling with or dealing with. You know, I mean, the, the canon of scripture is meant to speak to all kinds of people across all kinds of time and space, right? So it's perfectly okay to, to come to a passage of scripture and go, ha, I don't, mm, I'm not sure about this one, which, which this passage definitely is one of those things that, that it does to us. Not that there's not important theological things here, but that 
immediately, I'm, you know, I might think, this is not the message that my congregation needs to hear. And that's fine. I just like to give people that permission to say, <laughs> cool. Uh, if that's your response, okay, you know, you, I know you're not chucking that part out of scripture or anything like that. You're just feeling the lack of connection or, or relevance is okay. Um, yeah, I, I haven't had a lot of a lot of temple prostitutions, just not really that's right. big yeah. so, in the world I live precisely. in. Precisely, yeah. And if anything, in our context, um, although, you know, again, we live in a pluralistic country yeah. and, and world, we've kind of flipped to the over-importance of, of the body, right? So this notion yeah. that the Corinthians might be struggling with, that your body is just irrelevant to your state of mind, to your spiritual life, to, you know, so on and so forth. We've we're probably on the other end of that extreme in in a lot of places, right? I mean, how you treat your body is absolutely critical. You know, mind body connection. You know, I, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things you know that points to psychosomatic illness and the interconnection of the health of your body and stress. Yeah. I mean, we've all we all have been inundated with this kind of thing. So, getting on the inside of what Paul is arguing here is kind of hard for us. Uh, you're like. Well, who doesn't think that their body is important to their existence? Uh, <laughs> it, but that's yeah. seems to be and actually naming that sort of and naming against. that in a sermon is okay because that's you can allow right. you can sometimes a, a sermon uh, sometimes you, you got to leave confirm. your exegesis on the table. <laughs> yes, but on other times you you bring that exegetical journey into the sermon and sure. say sure. so. Let's explore together what we can still learn from this text, that's even right. though our world is so different. Yeah. Because surely it still has something to say to us. It might just right. take some digging. And, and to kind of invite people into that journey is, is a good homiletical practice. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's one place to start with this passage is, in some ways, uh, you know, it, it can be hard for us to appreciate the ways that the body is important from a Christian, ah. Christ-like perspective, because it is part of the water that we swim in, right? We, we all just, you know, we're kind of like, well, yeah, I know that when I'm stressed out, I get sick. Uh, yeah. I, I understand that connection, but let's look at then how it's really grounded in, you know, sort of, again, these fundamental, deeply mm. Christ-based principles so that we aren't just absorbing it from our culture. Like the Corinthians were absorbing some of their culture right. and ending up in these weird places ultimately. So we can. Cause that's where their mistakes mostly that. come from is but, the both and breaking down. Yes, they have a, right. a true, they have core beliefs that they've received from Paul in the 18 mm -hmm. months he lived there. And they also have some, like you referred to it as this jumbled worldview from their pagan culture. So they don't always make the, they, they often draw problematic logical conclusions from true claims <laughs> right. mm -hmm. because of other assumptions they're incorporating. Sure. And that's exactly the risk that we would be in, in our focus more on mind-body connection in our world right. as a valuable, a, a worldview that can be affirmed. At least that principle can be affirmed, yes. but might need to be rethought and guided right. from this central claim of the resurrection of Christ yes. and a life lived unto God's glory. Is that I was attempting oh, yeah. to say what you said in oh, my way. Sorry. <laughs> that's right. No, absolutely. Okay. That's absolutely right. I mean, if you know, Man, that's in an a important way, sermon. It's, that's it's sort of taking the superstructure and filling it in with all the girders and supports, you know, so that it it isn't kind of a weird house of cards that we've just mm. inherited from our culture. But there's actual meaningful integrity on the inside of the building to pick my own metaphor that Paul uses. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's a meaningful integrity on the inside of the building that supports 
then I think what that does for us, helpfully, is when it comes down to the rather general uh, exhortation in verse 20, glorify God in your body. Well, how do I do that? Is this thing, if I do this thing, is that glorifying mm. God with my body or is it not? Because that's not always like a super simple question to answer. No. And so seeing how Paul unpacks it to some degree here gives us some ways to think about, oh, oh, well, yeah, that's probably not glorifying God with my body because of what Paul says about, you know, just just to pick one, you know, well, every other sin I commit is outside my body, but this one is against my body. Like, oh, I see how that's actually harmful against my body. And so I wouldn't do that because it's not then glorifying God. So it, it gives us some particulars to then say, well, how do I carry out this important command? And so it, it helps us to understand that better and then gives us the frame of heart and mind to intuitively do those things that glorify God in our body because we've been sort of ingrained into this way of viewing what our bodies are. So that, that can be really helpful. Yeah. So sometimes, I mean, and I've said this too in sermons, like, you know, some sermons are meant to challenge you. Some sermons are just meant to confirm, right? I mean, here is a confirmatory thing. I think most of you already believe this and think this generally, but let's, let's open it up and look at it and confirm it and enrich it. And that's a perfectly good reason to preach a sermon about something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I re- I'll never forget as a significant moment in my own training. If someone came, it gave a paper as a graduate student colloquium, the super relevant for preaching. Sorry. No, but you'll, you'll, you'll see <laughs> listen, dear listener, you'll, you'll catch where it's going to land and gave a paper on Corinthians and body stuff. It was okay. relevant. And the, the presenter kind of constructed the views of the Corinthians mm-hmm. by basically just taking them as the opposite of Paul. And then there was a response. It was by Kara Lyons-Purdue, who I I think you might know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But Kara gave the response. We were grad students together at the time. She's a New Testament scholar, Nazarene, teaches at Point Loma, I think now. But And Kara, I mean, it was just, it was respectful and gentle, but it was just a takedown because it was like, it's like rhetoric doesn't work like this. You can't convince somebody of something by just saying everything you think is wrong. And here's what I think rhetoric says, okay, we're on the same page, 80%. Let me take you to the next 20. Right. So you can't just assume that like everything, the Corinthians thinking was just absolutely opposite of Paul. Paul is often Paul's whole rhetoric is only going to work if he's able to appeal. Like you just said earlier, of course they believed in Christ's resurrection. They didn't see the implications. Right. 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 It's not that they just like take his list of beliefs and do the opposite. It's got to be, it's often a subtle, okay, yeah, you kind of get it, but let me guide you gently. Like you said, with his, his rhetorical questions here only work if they resonate. Yeah, that's right. right. If they're like not completely insulted <clears throat> by them and kind of go, oh yeah, maybe. I yeah, if you're just that. like, we're not bodies, we're not members of the body of Christ. That has to be yeah. like, oh yeah, that's something I've heard before. I just right. haven't applied it to this yet, yeah. right? That's how that's how rhetoric works, and that's relevant to to preaching the sermon to ask ourselves because sometimes we can kind of become sort of self anointed prophets in our preaching, and always go after the mistakes that our people are making. Sure, yeah, yeah. and. There's a time for that. I'm not saying that's always ruled out, but if we really are following the rhetoric of this text and the logic of this text, I think we would want to be careful to think, okay, what is already in the water that I can appeal to sure. and then draw out and guide and 
nuance in order to help yeah. a little bit. And I wonder if even, I mean, I hate to make three points because it's so predictable, but <laughs> you mentioned that there's three metaphors. Yep, there's here. three metaphors. Yes, there are. <laughs> and I grew up with the third one as the exclusive one for huh, saying okay. why you're not supposed to smoke or drink or whatever. Right. Yes. Don't you know your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, which was intended, I think, to sort of say, hey, the things you wouldn't do here at church, right? Religious, that religious logic applies all the time sure. to your body. Okay. I get it. Yeah. But like to actually make use of all three as sort of like, cause you might catch something that might not fit one metaphor that might fit another. Right. I feel like I must suddenly, I'm going to test that this week when I'm like, you know, choosing what to eat at my meals, you know, just kind of <laughs> ask like, I'll just do all three real quick. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If I'm a, a, a limb. I like limb. That's fun. If I'm yes. a limb of Jesus, how does what I'm consuming right now, how's that fit into yeah. that body? And then the second one of the, what am I bonding myself to? Mm-hmm. Right. Which again, applies with food really well, because you actually do establish <laughs> social bonds over meals, but you also yes, get yes. linked to certain foods. And then that temple one. And I feel like the temple for me, at least, and maybe for a lot of people, if the temple of the Holy Spirit is the more frequent image and metaphor might be helpful to actually teach the other two first and get to that one. Cause then it might yeah. illumine that one. Sure. So any of the, any of those listeners out there who love to have three points and want to offer a sort of practical <laughs> framework, I think you. it's useful. <laughs> yeah. I think, cause I think these metaphors, I mean, not that the metaphors are not, if the situation in Corinth is highly specific to their culture and time, and if these principles of glorifying God and the bodily resurrection are kind of these, the most kind of eternal thing, yeah. mm-hmm. sort of halfway in between would be these metaphors that yes. they're going to make a different sense to them than they would us, right. but they're, they, they do stretch. I think they are a little bit, Yeah, you could have parallel application. That would be my sort of thought. Oh yeah. And I think that that, again, that would be really helpful because if I were to just look at these, uh, yes, I've heard the temple of the Holy Spirit, you know, a little, little bit more floating around. That's probably the least applicable metaphor yeah, in our context. Because that's right. we don't have temples yes. in the same way. And we don't think of church buildings in the ways that right. ancient people thought of temples. Neither neither the Jewish temple, no, the canonical temple, nor the pagan temples that both no. would have been relevant to the film. That metaphor, that was, that was the killer metaphor for yes. this. I bet. That's right. Him. He ends with that's, it, right? It's, yeah, and that's, it's that good. means it's his best one in his mind. Yes, that's right. <laughs> But the other yeah. two might, you know, we understand relational bonding, right? I mean, I yes. think we we get that uh, in, in some ways, not that ancient folks didn't, um, but that might, I think for us, that might be the, the clincher is, would be that one. And spirit oh. language has a social dimension in, oh, yeah, for in sure. Paul. So mm-hmm. the notion that those who are bonded or joined to the Lord are Our one spirit, one spirit. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean, oh, spiritual in the sense of like non-physical. It's right. a social connection. Yes. Uh, spirits connected to community. And side note, audience has heard me say many times, like when you read Paul, Kurios Lord, pretty much <laughs> unless you have evidence otherwise, always means Jesus. Yes. Right. And and if you and verse 14 is like the best evidence of that point I keep making. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's clearly God raised the Lord. So clearly, yes. right, these are two characters because yes, one's yes. doing the action. Sorry. That Here's was an aside, but that's okay. But it's relevant though. So then the united with the Lord here in verse 17 is not again generic God talk. God. It's specifically to Jesus. Jesus. Right. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. risen Christ, right? right? That's what the glory of God is all about, which means the glory of God is connected to our own bodily life. That's right. 
Yeah, that is a really straightforward logic when you, the longer you spend with it. Yeah. And I'm like, any sermon that is able to stir up that logic, that mm-hmm. connection mm-hmm. in the minds and hearts of a people is faithful to this text, even if yep. it talks about a Absolutely. bunch of other issues and a bunch of other metaphors. Sure. If you can be faithful to that big idea, I think is, is, a, is a faithful sermon. Yeah. I, I think two other things that we might glean from the way Paul goes about this, if not the specific contents is that is one that Paul isn't afraid here to name some of the things that are floating around out there. I mean, I think the quotation Mm. marks are meaningful. Yeah. um, Just to say some people are saying X. Yeah. You know, it's a real thing. Let's name it. Let's call it, see what it is. And, And you're right. You know, he doesn't do it to shame them or, to put them down or, I mean, he's going to disagree with it or disagree with its application or something like that. But he's also pretty clear about saying, Hey, you know what? We're talking about this thing. And some people have said, thought, done this with it. Okay. Let's unpack that. Yeah. And, and, and they're usually half truths. Yes, they're best right. named because if the, right. if the half truth is keeps floating around, it's used as a, as a wall to hear what the hard thing that needs to be that's said. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause if you name the hard, if you name the half truth and say, okay, that's half true, but right. here's, the here's other how to really apply <laughs> that. Yes. Yeah. Here's the other half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think another piece here that maybe we can, we can, this is one of those places where I think we abstract out a principle from the text and we can move it over and bring it down in other locations is that Paul is arguing against compartmentalizing of our spirituality Uh, yes yes in a large now he's he's dealing specifically with separation of body from spirit but if we take that and say okay well if these two things are integrally joined and influence one another then i think it's important that we think about the fact that you know our spirituality should not be compartmentalized from anything anywhere, anytime, right? That these connections are made from our spirituality to our family life, from our spirituality to our work life, from our spirituality mm-hmm. to our hobbies, from our spirituality to how much sleep we get. You know, I mean, so Paul is ultimately arguing to say, no, your spirit, your connection to Jesus, your relationship with Jesus is not this thing that you can just put in a bottle and separate from everything else. Now, again, our issues today might be different than their particular issues, but we do some of the same kind of dynamics. We we divide off this thing. Well, that doesn't really have anything to do with my relationship with Jesus. So that's, I can do whatever I kind of want to over there with that. And so this text really pushes against that to give the preacher some kind of, you know, place to say no 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 god calls you as a whole being social emotional cognitive sexual yeah you know all of these dimensions to be integrated into who you are in christ and that all of those pieces go together 
So again, I think that's awesome. This happens all the time on Fresh Text. Like the the sort of idea right at the end is kind of like, okay, that's the sermon, right? And then you work <laughs> backwards <the> <laughs> and sort of like pick up the pieces and see if which ones incorporate. Like, sure, sure. like the triple metaphor still might be useful towards the end of that sermon. Right, right. Some quoting, some quoting of things that are said could be good up front the way he does. But then the heart of the sermon in the middle could really be this idea. And it could, and one way to prepare for that sermon is to do some reflection do some congregational exegesis and start asking, okay, what are, what are a couple compartmentalizations that I think we're particularly guilty of and need to watch out for and identify those and name a, name a few. And I think that could be really, 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 really helpful. And then not sort of say, here's exactly what you do, because he doesn't actually walk them through it. He, oh, yeah. he pretty much just says his main point is this stuff counts. This stuff matters. Right, right. Um, he doesn't give a lot of instruction. Here's how to approach, you know, specific it's, issue. <laughs> yeah, the main gist is that stuff counts. It's part of your spiritual life. Right. right. Don't pretend it isn't. Right. Isn't that right. the kind of. So oh, yeah. even just to convince and then give people space in a sermon, it's OK to have a little silence, give a little mm-hmm. space to meditate, reflect. Okay, what's what's a compartmentalization? Maybe one of the ones I've mentioned, maybe one that comes to mind, something mm-hmm. you tend to think of. And today, all I'm asking of you in this sermon today is t- tomorrow we're going to figure out how to li- start living different. Just today is repentance. It's saying, I'm going to sure. metanoia, change my mind, and f- I'm going to commit that, yes, that is part of my Christian life. Yeah. What that's going to look like how I'm going to work it out. That's going to take some time, but I, yeah. I can right now decide to no longer pretend that that's a separate something else. matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, that could be really powerful, man. That's a, that's a good sermon. I'd be excited to hear it. Okay. <laughs> hey man. Well, thanks so much uh, for giving an hour of your time uh, to the text and to our listeners. And I always end with saying thanks to uh, Todd and Eric for all their production work. I can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks to uh, Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And thanks to all you listeners uh, for chiming in and getting the word out about the show. With that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.